Good morning. My name's Colby King. This is my friend Jay. Hello, hello. Hey, Pastor Larry. How are you doing? It's, it's good to see you. Hey, you know what? What's that? He looks like a million dollars. Well, that's, that's nice, Jay, but you've never seen a million dollars. That's what I mean. He looks like something I ain't never seen before. Okay, now, Jay, now you didn't come to pick on Pastor Larry. I want you to tell him you're sorry. Do I have to? Yes, now look at him. Do I have to? Yes, now look at him. I want you to apologize. Really? Yes, tell him you're sorry. Okay. Pastor Larry, you're sorry. <laughs> that is not what I meant. Oh, that's what you said. No, I did not say that. Oh, you had a hand in it. Okay, Jay, well, well, that is true. That is true. We didn't come to pick on Pastor Larry. You said you had something special that you wanted to do for everybody today. Because today, we want you to know that God loves you and that God has plans for your life. We want you to know that God created you for a reason. That's right. God created everything. That's right. And on the seventh day, he rested. That's right. And then God created the plants and the animals. And on the seventh day, he rested. That's right. And then God created man. And on the seventh day, he rested. That's right. And then God created woman, and no one has rested since. <laughs> Better watch out. Okay, Jay, you said you had something special that you wanted to share. Is that right? That's right. Today, right here, I am going to sing a song. Well, now that's a good idea, but don't you mean we are going to sing a song? I am going to sing a song. Well, what about me? What about you? Well, well, don't you like to hear me sing? I love to hear you sing solo. Solo? Yeah, solo. I can't hear it. Jay, remember the last time we sang together? The last time? The last time. It was the last time. No, no, Jay. Re remember that really high note? The high note? I hit that note. You didn't hit it. You smashed it. Jay, singers happen to run in my family. Oh, they certainly should after that. Okay, Jay, if you don't want to sing with me, that's all right. Go ahead and, and sing, sing a solo, okay? Okay. It's a good song. You're going to like it. Here goes. Here goes. I've got to get warmed up. Okay. Get warmed up. Here goes. <clears throat> Hold on. <clears throat> la, la, la. <clears throat> Hold on. <clears throat> la, la, la. <clears throat> Hold on. <clears throat> la, la. Hey, you know what? <laughs> What's that? I don't want to sing a solo. Uh-oh, you don't? You want to sing with me? No. I want to sing with Pastor Larry. Pastor Larry, do you sing? <laughs> okay, okay, I tell you what. what <laughs> 10, or, 10 or 12 miles away. I tell you what, Pastor Larry, if you're willing, come on up here. Come, come on up here. Now, now I, I, I will tell you, the last thing that, you know, a visiting evangelist or a ventriloquist or even a puppet, the last thing we would ever want to do <laughs> is embarrass a pastor. But I, I tell you what. So I, I have an idea, Pastor Larry. If it's okay with you, would it be all right if I help you sing in the same way I help him sing? Would, would that be okay? I'll put my hand right on your neck, right here. Would, would that be all right? Yeah. Okay, okay, all right. And so I'm just put my hand right on your neck. Good idea. Okay. And uh, then when I squeeze, I just want you to open your mouth. Good. Now, now, if I hold it long, I want you to keep it open. Good. And if I go fast... Yes, good, good. Now, the other key, Pastor Larry, is not to make any noise, okay? 
Oh, he, he's a natural. Did you see that? He's not making any noise. Now, being a natural, I actually don't know if that's a good thing or not. But <laughs> you're doing an excellent job. Jay, why don't you get warmed up, okay? Okay, here goes, here goes. La, 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 la. No, 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 no. La, 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 la. No, 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 no. Okay, Jay, I think you're ready. Okay, it's a good song. You're going to like it. Here goes, here goes. <clears throat> here goes. Jesus loves me, this I know. No, 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 no. Though that I don't tells me so. No, 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 no. Little ones to him they long. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves thee, yes, Jesus loves me, though thy thought tells me so. Give Pastor Larry a hand. Pastor Larry, thank you. Now, when you hear that song, you probably think of a kid's song, and it is, and it is, but it's also a song that has a powerful truth. And today, we want you to know that God loves you, and that God created you for a reason, and that he has great plans for your life. Jay, why don't you say goodbye, and then while I'm gone, one of my sons, he's going to come, this is Jaden, he's going to tell you about the greatest thing that ever happened to him, and how he knows for sure that he's going to heaven. Jay, why don't you say goodbye? I'll see you later. Pastor Larry. All right, now this morning, you can tell this morning's going to be a little bit different, uh, but I want you to grab your Bibles before we do anything else, and I want you to turn to Mark chapter 8. Now, while you're turning to Mark chapter 8, um, I'm going to need a couple of volunteers to help me out, and so I'll tell you what, Nathan, would you be willing to come up here? Nathan, come on up here. You did a great job leading worship this morning, and then Bella, would you be willing to help me too? Would you be willing to help me? Okay, Bella, come on up here. All right, great. All right, Nathan, if you'll stand on this side, and I'm going to move this over just to give you a little bit more room here. We're going to have a competition between the two of you. All right, Nathan versus Bella right here. Now, Bella, this is a competition of strength. Okay, strength. Okay, strength and speed. Strength and speed. All right, and so a competition. Now, it's not as hard as what you might think. In a moment, I'm going to give each of you a piece of paper, and I'm going to have you tear that piece of paper into as many little bitty pieces as you can. Now, Bella, while you're tearing it, if they fall on the floor, that's fine. Then we're going to compare how many pieces you have to how many pieces he has, and then at the end, we'll find out who wins. Does that make sense, Bella? Okay, Nathan, does that make sense? Now, a couple of rules. A couple of rules here is rule number one is you cannot use your teeth, okay? So no biting the paper, no biting the paper. That's called cheating where I'm from. The other rule is you cannot grab that big manly pocket knife. Bella, you have to leave that up, okay? You cannot use that. And so, so no cheating there, only using your hands. Now, the two pieces of paper I'm going to give you, one of them says 
world, okay, and one of them says God, all right? And so when I say go, you're going to have 10 seconds. That's all you're going to have, Bella, and you're going to tear it to as many pieces as you can, all right? Are you ready, Bella? All right, get ready here. Get ready, Nathan. All right, here we go. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, yeah, just keep on tearing. Yeah, tear it like in half and half. Keep on going. All right, good, good. There we go, Bella. Keep on tearing. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one, and stop. Okay, all right. Now, let me see what you have, Bella. Now, we're going to take all your pieces, and we're going to... Did you bite it, Nathan? <laughs> okay, this is what I want you to see. Now, now did you tear that with your hands? Yeah, I did. Oh, I am thoroughly impressed. You see, this is an unfair competition. And the reason, did you get that, that it's an unfair competition? The reason it's unfair is because I gave, Bella, you had a normal piece of paper, all right? I gave him a piece of what's called unterrible paper. Now, he probably, he probably thinks it's a piece of terrible paper, but you know, it's actually unterrible, which is why I'm really surprised that you did that right there. Usually, the only way you're going to get that is to use your teeth, but the point is still the same. If you live for the things of this world, if you live for the things that are here one day, gone the next, if you live to have more stuff, make more money, if you're not focused and set, if you have not set your life on Christ, when this life is over, all those things of the world are going to be like that right there. They're here one day, they're gone the next. But if you live for the things of God, no matter how strong someone may be, nothing and nobody can tear the things of God from you. And so my question this morning before we read these verses is simply this. What is your life focused on? I mean, what are you chasing after? What's important to you? What are you living for? The things of God or the things of the world? Because you'll find out here tomorrow when you go to work, go to school, there's going to be this tug in your life. I mean, you turn on TV, there's a tug going on in your heart. And this tug, well, let me show you what it's like. We'll, we'll do another competition a little more fair here. Okay, I want you to stick out your hand like this, Nathan. All right, Bella, stick out your other hand right here. And I want you to grab, not the hands, I'm going to have you grab the elbows right there. All right, okay. Now, what's that, Bella? Trying to get to my elbow. Okay, I can't, I can't reach his elbow. Okay, okay, now Bella, now you have heard of tug of war, right? Okay, you know what tug of war is? There's two sides, they both pull. Okay, in tug of war, when there's two sides and they're pulling, which side wins? The side that is the? Yeah, the side that's the strongest, that's right. In your life, there's a tug between the things of God and the things of the world. And when this tug happens in your heart and in your mind, What's going to win is what's stronger. Now, we're going to illustrate this right here. Okay, so on the count of three, I want you to pull, okay, and we're just going to show them like what this tug is like. All right, here we go. You ready? Here we go. On your mark, one, two. Okay, we're not really going to do this because did you, did you see her? She was bracing those boots. Nathan, she was going to throw you over in those chairs. I, I didn't want to see that. I didn't want to see that. But the, the point is true. There's a tug. Hey, folks, in your life, in your life, What's going to win in your life is what's stronger. Now, you say, a guy asked me one day, he said, well, well how, how do I know what's stronger? I mean, how, think of it this way. Bella, let's say I have two dogs, okay? And let's say these dogs are big dogs. I've got a big brown dog and a big black dog. And let's say these dogs, they don't like each other. And so when they get in the backyard, they're always fighting against each other. They don't like each other. And so let's say I leave town, go somewhere like <laughs> New Mexico. And uh, I go to my neighbor and I say, I want you to feed my dogs. And so he comes over, but he only sees the brown dog. 
And so he gives the brown dog food, gives the brown dog water, but he doesn't see the black dog and he's on the other side of the house. And so at the end of the week, let's say I come home, those dogs get in the backyard, they start fighting, which one's going to win? Yeah, why? Because he's the one that was fed. And in your life, this tug between the things of the world and the things of God, what's going to win is what's going to be stronger. What's going to be stronger is what you feed. If you're feeding the things of the world into your life, that's what's going to win. But when you feed the things of God into your life, when you set your focus on Christ and you follow him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, that's when you're going to discover the life that God created you to have. All right, give Nathan and Bella a hand. You guys can have a seat. Y'all did a fantastic job. Thank you guys so much. And Nathan, I am really impressed that you tore the unterrible paper. I'm impressed. Y'all need to watch out for him. All right, Mark chapter 8. Here we go. We're going to start reading in verse 31. Now, there is so much truth in here. I mean, this is a gold mine. There's way more than we can deal with this morning. But I want to encourage you when you get home to go sit on these verses and just let the Lord, just let it, the truth of it just sink into your heart. Here we go, verse 31. And Jesus began to teach them, saying that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing the disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Now catch this. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And Jesus summoned the multitude with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, I want you to bow your heads. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your truth. God, thank you that your word is true. And this morning, God, I want you... God, I want you to move in our hearts. God, I ask that you'd take the truths of this scripture and that, God, you'd open our eyes. And, God, I pray that you would help us to see our lives exactly for the way we're living and see our lives for how you created us to be. Lord, we ask this morning that you would be honored and glorified and lifted up. And, Lord, we love you more than life itself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is what's happening here. Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's going to suffer, he's going to be rejected, he's going to die. And three days later, he's going to rise again. And Peter, that does not fit with what Peter is expecting. And Peter's expecting a whole different thing, scenario. And so he pulls Jesus aside and Peter begins to get on to Jesus. I mean, that can't, that can't be. That's not the way. And so Jesus turns around and he sees the disciples and he says this to Peter. Now, a lot of times you'll hear quoted, get thee behind me, Satan, get behind me. But you got to listen to the rest of what he said. He said, because your mind, you are not set on the interests of God, but on the interests of man. And this morning, I want you to look at your life. And I want you to simply ask yourself, the way you're living life, the things you're living for, are you focused on the interests of man? Or are you focused on the things that really matter? On eternal things, the things that matter to God? 
This is what I want you to do. Okay, I want you, if you have a smartphone that has apps, I want you to take it out real quick. And I want you to open it up, and I want you to look at the app that is in the bottom hand right corner of your, your phone. Yeah, just open it up. Okay, take a look at that app and memorize it. And as soon as you know what app is there, I want you to turn your phone off and put it away. Okay, just kind of look at it. All right. And so hope you did it right. You know what app is there. Bottom right hand, you're sure you know what one it is, right? Okay. Don, I saw you, you moved. You, you did it, right? Okay, you know what app is there, right? Okay. So this is what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand if you can tell me to the minute what time it is. Okay. And now look at this. What's, oh, oh. Uh, Donnie's like, I've done this before. You knew what was coming. Okay, that's great. Okay, I just want you to think for a second. Okay, Bella, do you know what time it is? Oh, yeah, she looks right there. But now what about the rest of you? Hope. Now look at this. Hope. Others of you, you pulled out your phone. It was right there in front of your nose, probably as big as a day. But you didn't see it because it wasn't what you were looking for. And when Peter pulled Jesus aside... He got started getting onto him because that's not what he was expecting. That's not what he was looking for. And I want you to know this morning, there are people in our churches sitting here Sunday morning in this church, other churches, and God is moving right under their nose, but they're not seeing it, and they're not seeing what God wants to do in their life because that's not what they're focused on. Their attention is somewhere else, and because their attention is on the things of man, or making more money, or getting more stuff, or being people liking you, because their interests are set somewhere else and not on the things of God, they're missing the life that God created you to have in Christ Jesus. So this is what I want you to do this morning. This morning, we're going to go back to the very heart of what it means to know Jesus, and the very heart of God's plan for you. And so, we're not going to pray, but I want you to close your eyes. Yeah, close your eyes. This one I want you to picture. I want you to picture Jesus. Just like what he described to the disciples. But here he is and he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane. And you can see he's sweating. It's like there's great drops of blood running down his face. And he is under great pressure. He knows what's coming. And then a crowd comes. They've got swords and torches and spears. And they've come to take him away. And he lets them arrest him and he goes with them. Now everybody look right up here. And they take Jesus and they set him up. And they have witnesses get up and they tell their stories. But their stories don't even agree. And finally the high priest looks out at Jesus and he says, Are you the son of God? And Jesus said, I am. And as soon as he said, I am, the Bible says one of the temple guards stepped out and punched him. Because he claimed to be on the same level as God. He claimed to be the son of God. There must have been an uproar. Saying that, that was blasphemy. I mean, he deserved to die by their law. The Bible says they begin to spit at him, that they laughed at him, that at one point that they grabbed the whiskers of his beard and they yanked the whiskers out of his face, that they took at one point and they covered his eyes and they would beat him and they'd say, oh, prophesy to me. Oh, if you're the son of God, tell me, tell me, prophesy, tell me my name, that they abused him in that way. But what they could not do is they could not execute him. Because they were under Roman law. They had to go through the Roman government for that. And so they took Jesus to the Roman governor, Pilate. And Pilate talked to him, couldn't find anything wrong with him. But he had a problem because all these angry Jews were there at his doorstep saying, he deserves to die. And Pilate finds out he's from up north and King Herod is in town. And so he gets rid of him and sends him to King Herod. Now everybody look right up here. King Herod was fascinated by the mystical. And when he heard Jesus was coming, 
I mean, he was probably excited and on the edge of his seat. And when Jesus got there, he wanted Jesus to do some great work. Do some great miracle. And folks, I want you to know this morning, Jesus stood before him silent because God does not perform for anybody. And I want you to know there are people in our churches this morning all across America. And they've come to church expecting God to get up and do some song and dance to make them feel better. And I want you to know Jesus does not perform, but he gave his all to save your soul. And finally, Herod gets frustrated, sends him away. And so Jesus is going back to the governor. And these Roman soldiers, they've been watching. Now these Roman soldiers, they hated the Jews. I mean, the Jews were always causing trouble. And finally, here is a Jew that even the Jews seem to hate. And they call him the king of the Jews. And so a king, he needs a crown. And so the Bible says these Roman soldiers, they weave together a crown of thorns. I mean, big old, a friend of mine came back from that part of the country and brought a thorn. It was straight and sharp as a toothpick. In fact, just a little bit of a different color. Two to three inches long. Not like these little bitty things we find in Oklahoma. I mean, this was like big old thorn. And so they took and they wove together this crown of thorns. And the Bible says these soldiers that they stuck it down on Jesus' head. And then they took a stick. Because a king needs a crown. But a king needs a scepter, a cane of royalty. And so he had a crown of thorns on his head. They put this stick in his hand. And then the Bible says, these soldiers, they knelt down around Jesus. And they said, oh, king of the Jews, we worship you. And they pretended to worship him. And they made fun of him. And when they were done mocking him, the Bible says they grabbed the stick out of his hand. And they beat him on the head with it. Now they take him back to the Roman governor. The governor still can't find anything wrong, but he's got a problem. All these angry religious leaders. And for a Roman governor, what you didn't want was religious leaders rioting. And so he did something a little bit unusual. He had Jesus whipped with this weapon that had nine ends. The nickname was a cat of nine tails. He had him scourged with it. Now, the reason that was unusual is because that weapon was not meant to kill somebody. And rarely did they ever beat somebody with this before killing them. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why he did it. He may have thought, if I beat him bad enough, these religious leaders, they'll back off. But whatever the reason was, he had Jesus whipped. And what they would have done is they would have tied him either on a post or in a doorway where his skin is stretched out tight, tight, that pull the robe off where just the balls of his feet are touching the ground. And usually, one soldier would stand in front and one would stand behind, and they both had one of these whips. Now, historians, they have the training manuals that these Roman soldiers, how they were trained to use this, use this because this was not a haphazard beating. This whip was so powerful that if the Roman soldier did it at the wrong time while a person was breathing, it took the chance that it would hook and pull out a lung. Because on the end of these nine ends, they would use things like bone and metal, anything that would be like a hook. And the idea was to pull the skin off without pulling an organ off, pulling an organ out. And so one soldier behind, one soldier in front, each had a cat of nine tails that watched the breathing. And at the right moment, that soldier would take his whip and he would sling it. And that ends, those ends would come around and they would dig into the body. And that soldier would turn with the strap over his shoulder and he would pull. And as he would pull, those nine ends would drag. And then the other soldier would start here and here and here. And they were trained to start with the upper shoulders and to progressively work their way down. See, the purpose of this weapon was not to kill somebody. The purpose of this weapon was to beat them to the point of death and to back off. And to let them live so the rest of their life they walk around scarred and disfigured literally from head to toe. 
And everybody that would see them would say, they would recognize that kind of disfigurement. And they would say, that's why you don't mess with the Romans. That's what it was. It was a billboard, don't mess with us. And so here's Jesus, and they whip him again and again and again. And these soldiers were taught that nobody could survive 40 times being beaten with this weapon. And so they beat Jesus 39 times. Now, folks, he's not even to the cross, but I want you to know, he has been beaten literally to the point of death. He has had whiskers pulled out of his beard. He's been spit at. He's been laughed at. He's had a crown of thorns hit down on his head. The Bible says, by his stripes, you are healed. He didn't have to endure this. It was love that compelled him to do this. This is the kind of love he has for you. And then they take him. And they put a cross on his back. And they're leading him up to a skull-shaped hill. And as Jesus is walking, and folks, this is the part of the story that sometimes I have trouble wrapping my brain around. I mean, this is Jesus. I mean, he spoke the word, and people that had never walked, they got up and walked. I mean, he spoke the word, and dead people came back to life. This is Jesus who said the words, and everything was created. This is the God of all power. He is in a physical body just like you and me. And his body is so broken and he is so hurt that the Bible says when they take that cross and they begin to lead him up to that hill, that this man who had been a carpenter, he falls down under the weight of that cross. And that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who had all power, his body was so broken at this point that he could not physically carry that cross. And the Roman soldiers, they recognized it. And they grabbed a guy from the crowd and they made him carry Jesus' cross all the way up. And when they got to the top, they would have laid Jesus down and they would have put a a nail through each of his hands, put his feet together, one through both feet, straight into the wood. Lifted him up. A criminal on each side, executed. He's hung up for everybody to look at, laugh at, completely shamed. Now, when I was a kid... Bella, when I was your age, I remember sitting in Sunday school, and see, I grew up in a family, we didn't go to church, but when I was seven years old, I got saved, I gave my life to Jesus, and my family started going to church, and so when I was about third grade, I'm guessing you're about fourth, right? Third, okay, when I was your age, I was sitting in Sunday school, and I remember our teacher, she was showing pictures and talking about this, and I remember sitting there thinking, if I don't understand how being on a cross kills you, and then one day somebody explained it to me. The reason this was so cruel is when they would stretch you out on that cross, these soldiers, they were experts at making death slow and painful. They would stretch you out in such a way that for you to get a breath of air, for your lungs to be able to expand and retract, that you would have to pull your body weight up on those nails through your hands and push up on that nail through your feet just to get a breath. Every breath, you're pulling your body weight up on nails. And after hours of this, your muscles right here would begin to spasm. And then eventually your arms would become paralyzed from the strain. And you would be pushing up on that one nail through your feet just to stay alive. And if you live too long, the soldiers would come along, they'd break your legs. You'd die. Now they didn't break Jesus' legs. He was perfect in every way. 
But for six hours, Jesus hung on a cross. Every breath pulling himself up on nails. Because that's how much he loves you. And he didn't do this to give us church buildings. And he didn't do this to give us church programs. Folks, he did this to give you life. To save you. To set you free from sin. To buy you back. This was the price that had to be paid. And while he's doing this, people in the crowd, they're laughing at him still. The Bible says they wagged their heads at him. In Roman times, that was an obscene gesture. He is dying for them. And they're still mocking him. And you better believe he was still the God of all power. At any moment, he healed others. He could have healed himself. He could have taken away his pain. He could have called a million angels, been done with it, come down from that cross, and stopped his own suffering. But if he had, there's not a person in this room, there's not a person in this world, there's not a person who ever lived that would have a shred of hope of having eternal life. This was the price that had to be paid, and he paid it because that's how much he cares for you and for me. He did this Because he loves you. But the physical pain, that's not the worst part of it. The worst part of this, you see the Bible says that on the cross, Jesus became sin. That you might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, there was a point where God took every sin, every wrong thing that you and I had ever done. We're talking every lie, every bad thought, every cuss word. Everything that we've ever done wrong that we thought's not that bad. The little things, the big things. Things when you hear about people murdering and raping. God took all of that sin and he dumped it on his son. And in that moment, for the first time in all eternity, a holy God turned his back on his son who became our sin. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was cut off for the first time. And all of that, He bore our sin. But not only did He bear our sin, the Bible says in the Old Testament, that He bore our sorrows. So in other words, He took the sin of the rapist and He took the sorrow and the pain of the victim There is no pain that you will ever go through, no sorrow that God can't understand that Jesus doesn't know because he carried it on the cross. That's why he can comfort you. That's why he can heal you. That's why you can trust him with everything. He carried it on the cross. And finally, he looked out and he said, paid in full. It's finished. He did it. He paid it all. And he died and for three days he was dead, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose again and he beat the death and he beat sin and he beat hell and he beat the grave and he's alive and he is in this room right now. And not only is he in this room, when y'all came in and I was shaking hands, I started learning names, as many as I could. You know, I met Terrell and Dawn and and I met... uh, I want to say Brandon, but it might be Braden. Brandon, and and that's how I knew Bella's name and Nathan's name back there and his family. And I started learning. There's so many of you. Roger there. I asked his name two or three times. I couldn't keep it in my head. Roger, God knew your name before he even made the world. He knew everything about you. Before he even made Adam and Eve, he knew your name. 
and he already loved you, and he had plans for your life. The sad thing is, if you never come to Jesus, you will never taste the life that he gave his all to give you. And if you have come to Jesus, if you get distracted by all the things of this world, and he's not your first love, and your mind aren't set on things above, and you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your heart, that's where your heart is, that's where your treasure is, all your heart, all your soul, that's who you are, your personality, all your mind, with every thought, men, every thought, all your strength, everything you do, to love God, if you don't follow Him, love Him in that way, He's not your first love, then even as a Christian, you'll miss the life He created you to have. I was in a church in southeastern Oklahoma, and God laid something on my heart that I'd never done before. I'm sitting right there, right before I got up. They did offering right before I got up, right before I did. In my heart, God said, I want you to get up, and I want you to ask them, how many of you feel empty this morning? And in my heart, God said, I want you to have them raise their hands. He said, how many of y'all look in the mirror and you think there's got to be more to life than this? You look in the mirror and you think, surely God created me for more than this. I'm going to tell you, that was something God arranged. That church was so incredibly honest. There were deacons and Sunday school teachers. When I ask how many of y'all, when you hear the Christian life described, and I just described this abundant life, Peace that passes understanding, joy unspeakable. I said, when you hear it described biblically, how many of y'all look at your life and feel like there's something that's missing? Now, I'm not asking you to raise your hands. I ask them because that's what just God put on my heart that day. Over half the people in the room raised their hands, including, like I said, Sunday school teachers, deacons, even staff member. Very honest. Folks, there's a reason why there are so many people who've given their lives to Jesus and yet they go through life feeling like there's so much that's missing and lacking. The life God has for you, it is full. It is abundant. Jesus told a parable. It was this. Two parables. And you can look at them later. Matthew 13. Um, there was a man that found a treasure in a field. And he hid that treasure away. And then he went and he sold everything he had. Sold it. So that he would have enough to buy that field. Because that treasure, it was worth more to him than everything else in his life put together. Then immediately Jesus said there was a merchant seeking fine, a fine pearl. And finding that pearl of great value, he went and sold everything he had. So that he could have that pearl. That treasure. That treasure. Treasure is Christ. And the life that you're looking for, you will only ever find when you're willing to let go of everything else. And to bring everything and surrender all of it to Him. To let go. I let go. Jesus, I want everything in my life to belong to you. Every thought, every action. I don't want to live for the things of the world. I want to live for you. Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. 
What does it profit a man? He gained the whole world. It forfeits his own soul. And what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. When Jesus died on the cross, there were two thieves, two, well, two criminals. We don't, really, we don't really know their crimes, but there were two criminals, one on each side of Jesus. Now, I'm going to take and I'm going to add to this water. Now, this water, it's perfect and pure. And the reason I know that it's perfect and pure water is because it came out of the men's bathroom sink faucet. <laughs> We're going to pretend that it's perfect and pure water. Now, I'm going to take one drop of this. Now, this is a chemical, one drop. Oh, and there's nothing coming out. Look at that. I was about to say, where's my one drop? Oh, there's a seal on that. There we go. We're going to take one drop. One drop. There we go. One drop. Now, from the back, can you all see that drop? See, from a distance, it's easy to hide things. Is this water perfect anymore? Is it pure? You see, it only takes one to run the whole thing. I meet a bunch of people, and they believe they're going to heaven because they're good. But it only takes one, one sin, to ruin the whole thing. It only takes one wrong thing to keep you out of heaven. Now, you might be able to hide sin from people around you, maybe from a distance, maybe even close up. Maybe you've hidden things from people in your own family. But God sees it all. Our lives, most of us, we're not like this. We're probably a bit more like that right there. Now, the chances are, no, there's nobody in this room that's as bad as these two criminals were. I mean, I don't know what they'd done. Whatever it was, it was worthy of death by the Roman government. But going to heaven is not about how good or bad you've been. It's about whether or not you've received Christ. And so here are two criminals, one on each side of the cross. Here's Jesus in the middle. But these criminals, they were very different from each other. Because there was one of them and he turned to Jesus and he said, save yourself and us too. In other words, get yourself down and take us with you. But then this other criminal turned and he said, he basically said, don't you get it? We are dying for the things that we've done. This man is innocent. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, the difference between, the, between these two criminals, one, his mind was set on the things of this world. Get me down so I can go on. This guy put his faith in Christ. And I want you to know, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter where you've been, if you come to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I am sorry. I am sorry for the wrong things I've done. I give you my life. When you let Jesus come into your life, no matter what you've done, Jesus can take your sin. And he can make you crystal clear. And when Jesus takes your sin away, nothing and nobody can ever bring it back again. Now here are two people and they are completely different. But every one of you is like one of these two. This morning, you're either saved or you're not. You're either going to heaven or you're not. You've either received Jesus as your Lord and Savior or you haven't. So this morning my question is. Which one of these two are you? 
Do you know that you know for sure that you're going to heaven? I was talking with a 15-year-old young lady not long ago. And she said, I grew up in church. And she said, but all those years in church, I never heard anybody say that I could know for sure. She said, I thought that you just went to church, you did your best, and you just hoped that in the end that God would take care of it. No, folks, you can know for sure. If you've given your life to Jesus, he's forgiven your sins, he has set you free. In fact, this bottle right here, when that cross went in, this water changed. It permanently changed. This water will never be the same again. And I could take this container and I could start shooting the black down in there. And you know what's going to happen? This is never going to turn black again. Because this has lost its power. And when you come to Jesus and you give your life to Jesus, sin has lost its power. So why, as somebody who has given their life to Christ, would you ever return to doing the things that you know are wrong? This morning, if you've given your life to Christ, but you know that sin has come in, what's stopping you this morning from letting go? From saying, Jesus, I don't want to do that. I repent. I turn from that. I am letting go. I want you to be the boss and the Lord of my life. Folks, he died not to give you a halfway life. Not to give you a shell of a life. He died to give you life. I want to share one last story with you and then we're going to finish. Uh, there was a, a husband and wife and they were at the grocery store. This is 20 or 30 years ago. They were at the grocery store and when they left the grocery store they were driving home and they had no idea that this would be a night that they would always remember. Because on their way home they hit a traffic jam. And they got frustrated because it was really inconvenient and the police were diverting traffic. There had been an accident. When they got up close enough, they could see you know, the ambulance lights and the police lights and they finally got detoured around and they made it home. And, and uh, about 30 minutes after they got home, there was a knock at their door. And it was a police officer. And they found out that their daughter had been in that accident. That she had died. So broken, they went to the hospital. They went to start taking care of her body and making preparations. Broken. As they left the hospital, they began to drive back home. And they were driving the same route. Except now there was no traffic jam. And when they came up on the place where earlier they'd seen the lights, but they couldn't see any of the cars. I mean, it had all been cleaned up and the cars had been towed away. And there was just a little bit of evidence that there had been an accident. But they pulled over the car. The dad looked out, and on the street, he saw a stain. It was where his daughter had laid in the street, where she had breathed her last. It was a stain of her blood. It broke his heart. I can't imagine. And then a car drove through it. That man got out of his car and stood in the middle of that street, stopping traffic. Because his daughter's blood was precious to him. He couldn't bear the thought that somebody could drive through it. But folks, how often have we trampled underfoot the sacrifice that Christ made for us? How often by our thoughts and our actions have we insulted and grieved the Holy Spirit? Folks, this morning, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. But I want you to know the truth. God loves you. 
He designed you with a plan for your life. He shed his blood to make a way to save your soul. You'll miss it all. I mean, it might be right there in front of you. You're going to miss it if your mind is set on the things of this world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't know what your life is like this morning, but if you look in the mirror and you think, I'm not where I need to be, then what's stopping you today from making a decision to come to Jesus, to let go of everything in your life, and to surrender everything to Him? Maybe this morning, you're not in rebellion against God, but you've lost your first love. You don't prize and cherish what He did for you. What's stopping you from coming back? Maybe this morning, you are doing things that you know are wrong. Let go. Why would you keep eating death when Jesus has offered you life? Maybe this morning you're not certain that you're going to heaven. And I want you to know by the time you step out those doors, you can know that you know without a doubt that you have eternal life if you're willing to give your life to Christ. In a moment, the music's going to play. Pastor Larry's going to stand down front. And if you want to talk, if you want to pray, the altar's here. You can come kneel at it. Pastor Larry's going to be down front. There are others in the room that you know love God that you can go to, to talk to and pray with. If God's nudging your heart saying, there's a life that's waiting for you, don't let anything stop you from coming to Him today. Heavenly Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. You gave your life that you suffered, you died, you bled. You had whiskers pulled out of your beard. You took a crown of thorns and a beating all over your body. You were shamed up on the cross. You pulled yourself on nails. Oh, Jesus, you did all of that. Jesus, thank you that you changed my life. That you saved me. God, I don't know what's going on in the room right now, but Lord, I pray that you would move in our hearts. Jesus, thank you that you're in this room right now. Thank you for your love. God, I pray that you'd call people to whatever you're calling them to. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed.